Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Back again. This is Troy Hongs with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Greatness is the sum total of all the little decisions you make every day. Do you get up and work out or not? Do you expose yourself in public or do you keep professional? Do you move cross country for that job? How much should you pay down on your mortgage? How do you invest your money? But if greatness truly is the sum total of your decisions, what that tells us is if we ratchet up the quality of our decision making, we're going to poop off more and more greatness until it is inconceivable that we would not become rich, jacked, and become gods among men. And today, we have the tome. I learned that word. It means a uh, big-ass book. Uh, that was, This was most impactful in my life around the topic of decision making and investing. And, uh, you know, don't get all fucking scared and stuff. Like, everything's the way. Okay, it's not just investing. This is life. This is buying a house. This is starting a company. This is everything. And it is also my goddamn honor to have a co-host today. Somebody who this book has had an equally large impact. My brother, Jordy Long. Welcome. Happy to be here. I'm ready. Okay. And you're uh, you're getting a sneak peek looking at my notes, but... I can't I'll, see it. It's too oh, far away. Oh, okay. You're blind. But uh, Jordy Long grew up with me in the halls of the same Taekwondo school. The best Taekwondo student that ever came through our school, though I was like two years older and bigger. And so, you know, I was, I was not nice and I always tried to beat you down, but you were the best student we had. Uh, and then when, when I was 15 and he was 13, we both got a glimpse of muscular development magazine, Dennis Wolf, Marcus rule on the cover articles like how Evan Santapani gained 30 pounds of muscle in his off season. And you can too. And we were sold. I believed it. Yes. We wanted to get so jacked. And so when, when everyone else in high school was, you know, going to parties, drinking, watching damn cartoons, we were trying to become IFBB pro bodybuilders. We were at Cardinal Fitness at 5.50 a.m. That's right. And uh, we engaged in, the, in some of the craziest workouts ever. You know, no concept of sports science. Just, I remember remember that leg day where uh, we pre-exhausted with leg extension. Then we did full range of motion leg press. Then we tried to do squats. And then we finished off with walking lunges. And I do remember that. I fell down the stairs the next day. Dude, I couldn't walk for 11 days. Um, and and then after we realized that it turns out you can't gain 30 pounds of muscle in uh, one year without steroids, and we were never going to become IFBB pro bodybuilders because we have Asian man genetics, me vicariously, him actually. Uh, but we stayed good friends. And as we moved in the business world, you know, me in, in sales roles, this bitch running his own video production company. Uh, about once a month, once every two months, we'd get together, drink beer, eat chicken wings, and discuss how we are uh, faring on our quests on on the path. And so today, he's going to help walk us through this this complicated but truly life changing book, The Black Swan, by Nassim Taleb. Cheers, man. Cheers. 
And we're drinking some um, really classy whiskey because, you know, I got it for free. Ah, that's right. So first, tell me uh, what impact did this book have on you? So the first impact it had was just sheer dumbstruck awe. I was like, I don't even understand what I just read, to be completely honest, um, because it's such a, a, t- a field and a concept that you don't hear about in school for sure, uh, college for sure, and even just general investing uh, advice right. or personal finance advice. The, the concept of a black swan doesn't even enter into the room as a topic. And so it took me a while to even figure out what this guy was talking about. And uh, so I, I've read this book like two or three times. And af- after a while, uh, I started to understand it and then see the world a lot differently than I do than I did before. And what I got from it is basically how to manage my own risk better, how to make better decisions and what I prioritize in my life in terms of what, what am I, what's my savings? What kind of jobs am I looking for? How am I going to live? Where am I going to live? Stuff like that. Yeah, what he said, exactly. And a preview, Jordy has cast off all just hopes of ever finding a girlfriend or a wife Yes. and still lives at home in honor of getting lots of gold. Because, hey, talk about Black Swan. No Black Swan can get you if you don't have to pay rent. Yeah, especially this year, uh, I realized that... Um, because you could buy a house right now in cash, but yes. you're like, well, you know, let well, me you know. let me uh, let me be let me be uh, smart about this. Or I could use the cash to create like some kind of passive income and then buy a house with the passive income. That'd be even cooler. Exactly. And so yeah, I figured out this year, especially that a pile of cash solves almost all problems. So uh, I'm just trying to uh, prepare. Nice. So moving in. So in in the investment world, and I, I was a financial advisor for like three years, and in the investment world, there's there's two types of authors, two types of people who write books. There's the authors who are grizzled, scarred, you know, might be missing an eye, use bad words, you know, and they built their philosophies from doing. You know, they're, they're only authors now because, you know, their mind and body is just broken. They have ulcers on their ulcers. They're car- they carry around a little bottle of Pepto-Bismol in one pocket and a flask in the other. Uh, but they want to give back to the, the future investors battling it out in this great capitalist market. And then there's the suits. And these types of investors, you know, went to, went to prestigious schools. They use words like beta, alpha, standard deviation, and uh I don't know what gamma is even a little bit. Yeah, and they fucking golf. Yeah, I read about gamma and I, I read about I, golf. I know zero about Yeah, I don't know what it is either. Yeah. <laughs> um but above all they are unfailingly professional. Well, we hate the suits. And uh, Nassim Taleb, good news, fuckers. Today, we've got the pleasure, the honor of learning from a doer. He's an investor and a philosopher who has been in the trenches. He's uh, banned from the New York Stock Exchange for wearing a tie woven out of human scalps. Truth. He's missing both eyes, and he's only able to speak in profanities. This is true. Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And I have no better way of putting it. And he is a fucking man. And he grew up in war-torn Lebanon and actually has never smiled in his life. Do you know that? I believe that. He also likes deadlifting. He does. You're right. In his other books, he talked about, yeah. He's obsessed with deadlifts. Dude, you're right. Um, and then after, so after surviving the ravages of war, he made his way to this great country, the United States. He made his, tr- his fortune as a trader on Wall Street, but uh, you know, not like a, a normal suit. 
Mr. Taleb has such disdain for ties that throughout this book, he refers to them as callers, which is hilarious. And uh, he, he's basically written a lot of books dealing with probability, how to think about it, all that stuff. But today, heifers, we're going to cover his seminal work. And I don't even know what that word means, but it sounds like semen. Uh, the Black Swan. Get ready. So before the discovery of Australia, people in the old world were convinced that all swans were white. And this belief seemed completely confirmed by all evidence. So when the first black swan was ever sighted, some ornithologists, you know, bird doctors, whatever, they thought it was cool. But that's not the point. The point is it illustrates the fragility, so the weakness of this thing called knowledge. So one single observation can invalidate a general statement derived from millennia, I wish he would just say thousands of years, but millennia of sightings of millions of white swans. All you need is one single black bird. And that's the whole point of this whole thing. And so what he defines a black swan is an event with the following three attributes. It's an outlier, meaning so it, it lies outside the realm of regular expectations. You know, nothing in the past can really predict it. Second, it carries extreme impact. So, you know, finding a bird, no one fucking cares. But like COVID, that's an extreme impact. And third, in spite of the outlier status, after the fact, human nature, we tell stories and we make it explainable. And so, uh, dude, Mr. Taleb is just a philosopher of demon lore and he's just dropping his dick on the table already. Get used to it. It's staying there the whole episode. He says, a small number of black swans explains almost everything in our world from the success of ideas and religions to the dynamics of historical events to elements of our own personal lives. What the fuck? What do you think about that? It's alarming. It's uh, very disturbing. And it is definitely true. Why is it that when we would, you know, I took a bunch of history classes and I hated history because I felt like history was just, you know, a recitation of facts. Like, oh, they went to this thing and then, then, then this happened and then this happened. You just had to remember dates and everything. And I was like, why the fuck do I have to remember dates? I, I can Google it. But I, but you know, so, so like history seemed like just this linear thing. But after the veil is peeled back, it's so obvious that it goes from, you know, September 11th. Okay, 20 years in war. That shit wouldn't have happened without September 11th, you know? How, how, uh, how do we wrap our heads around that? Around the fact that it's uh, very few events that are high impact that no one saw coming that shape most of history? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to wrap my head around that other than rethink history. Yeah. And to look back and go, okay, well, what were the main events? And also use that to look ahead and say, well, if that's true, then what do I need to do to uh, prepare for, avoid, or benefit from potentially uh, the high impact improbable events that are coming down the, uh, com coming for us. Coming down the pipe. Yeah. Um, you know, just think about if in 1914, think of how little your understanding of the world oh, yeah. would have helped you guess what was going to happen next. I mean, oh, yeah. World War One, World War Two, Hitler, Great Depression, Internet, whey protein powder, 9-11, MyFreeCamps.com, COVID, all unpredictable shocks that changed the course of history. I mean, literally just about everything of significance around you now might qualify. 
Um, I don't know the, the, the history of like how microphones were made, but I bet it was some random ass thing and someone wasn't like setting out to make something that's we're good at recording. I have two thoughts on this. Go ahead. One, we can save this for later, but I have noticed I was thinking about these topics because uh, peek behind the curtain here. Uh, Troy sent me some ideas to think about last night and that's I thought right. about them. That's right. Right. You know, secretly prepared, but you know, still only a day prepared. So. <laughs> that's right. Um, but I realized that most uh, good things that I've either come up with or decided to do uh, were accidents. And so that is both funny and sort of alarming. Um, like I didn't mean to do a lot of the things that I've achieved a yeah. lot of times. Um, and then two, uh, we can relate this sometime. We can talk about this. 2020 has been a perfect case study because it felt like there were like 10 years crammed into one this year. And I actually kept somewhat of a journal this year nice. because I realized that things were going to move so quickly and strangely and we were in the fog of war that what we thought was true and was going to happen was going to change radically and we were going to remember falsely just like Nassim Taleb uh, talked about what happened in 2020 and how we remember things. Dude. So it is alarming to look back even at this one year and say, oh wow, I'm backwards explaining a lot of what I thought. Right, like when we all went under quarantine, people were yeah. like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna be under quarantine for two weeks." Like it's gonna be a tough two weeks, and then we're gonna get through it. And like that was the whole question. And I was just looking at it as like I understand exponential growth. Yep. And I understand game theory. Yeah. Uh, somewhat. I mean, took I took one fucking class, so like I clearly don't no, understand I it the same at thing. all. But like, if you're the government, yep. Okay, what what risk do you have of saying you know we gotta be we gotta be careful? Right. You got no risk. But what if you say, hey, we're not going to be careful and then everyone dies everyone and everyone dies. blames you and then you don't get elected again. So like, yes. well, I remember thinking, the, I remember writing this. I remember thinking, okay, if I go out, you know, sometimes you, you have me, you make projections and you go, what's my base case? What's my like, yeah, least like my, my bad case. What's my like overshooting what I think is even true. I thought this, it would be crazy. But what if this goes till June? Yeah. And I thought that's crazy. Like that's the far end of what is possible. So Wait, it, I just remember it was like just swirling possibilities, but none of them looked like the disease was going to go down. Oh yeah. But then we just couldn't wrap our heads around what that would mean. Does that really mean that I'm going to be working remote for until there's a vaccine? Right. Yes, it does. <laughs> Craziness. Um, but on this topic, so this is, I think where you were going, and I want you to expand upon the first thing you said. Um, as I was prepping for this, I realized, so he he says, go through the following exercise. Look at your own existence. So I was like, okay, Mr. Taleb. So I was looking at you know who I am, who I've become and everything. And I realized that, that basically 90%, 80% of who I am is just chance, which is fucking crazy. So the two examples... One, my mom is really nice and she really wants me to be prepared all the time. So when I was like 10, I mean, I'm 10, my grades don't even count. I had to take the PSAT, nice. the pre-SAT. And we, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And at the time I was watching, watching a lot of Dragon Ball Z. So I was like, I just want to, I just want to kill Frieza, dog. I don't want to, I don't want to take no damn saying. PSAT. And uh, so, so we're driving there and I remember I was, I was on 37 I look out my window and I see big red karate sign. And 
I was like, karate's kind of like becoming a super saiyan. And I was, I didn't even know what karate was. Thank goodness it wasn't karate because karate typically sucks though. Mr. Quinn's a badass. shout out Mr. Quinn. Um, and so I was like, my mom was already feeling bad because she's so nice and I was being such a bad kid. Uh, she was, uh, you know, I was like, mom, fine. If I take the PSAT, can, can we go look at that karate school? And turns out she said, yes, they, the reason they had karate on the sign is because when they had Taekwondo, people would call and try to order Chinese and our instructors <laughs> were like, fuck you. There's no mushu pork here. And so they just put karate on the sign because the and world works because the world is stupid. Yep. Drew me in. And I remember that first class I was like, okay. This is what I want to do. This is so awesome. I didn't know that that's how you started. It was in it was a, a quid pro quo for taking the PSAT. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, one of my first or second classes, I remember our instructor, Mr. Bird, was like, how many of you, and I was maybe a white belt, yellow belt, how many of you want to be a black belt? And I was like, wow, I never thought about that, but yeah. I mean, come on. And then, dude, rest of history, national champions, you know, national champion and shit, which sounds so cool, but like, not actually that cool because it's just for my belt division and everything and like sometimes people would go to national tournaments and really suck but um you know that martial arts i mean that that like defined a lot of who i was especially until i hurt my back um secondly and this is a crazy one and i didn't even realize this until you know i was prepping for this so in seventh grade so so like i was doing taekwondo instructor super jacked mr kessler he uh you know, he, he was like fighting MMA. I was like, I want to be jacked to fight MMA. This is this is a good life choice. And so, you know, I was like, had already been doing martial arts for a couple years, and I was planning on going out for wrestling because I in seventh grade because I knew that that helped, you know, MMA. But the day that it was, I was supposed to go out for wrestling, I pussied out. I got too scared. No, I even told my mom I was like, hey, I'm gonna go to the wrestling call out meeting, so don't expect me home. I got, I fucking got too scared and I went on the bus and I just went home and then I didn't wrestle. The the season passed me by, passed me by eighth grade. I was like, oh, it's too late. Freshman year, I was too late. Sophomore year, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to wrestle. And then I ended up like got knocked out in the match to go to state senior year. I got pretty good, but I was thinking about this whole thing and I would have wrestled in college if I'd gone in seventh grade. But then also, since I didn't, and I went to DePauw, where there was no wrestling, I uh, they had a Taekwondo club, but it was Olympic style and it was horrible. And I almost stayed in my comfort zone. I was like, well, you know, it's kind of horrible, but like, you know, I, I guess I'll just I'll just do this. But then that lesson from seventh grade screamed into my mind, and, and then it was like, no, go out for rugby. You wanted to play rugby, go out for rugby, you bitch. And I went out for rugby, met eight or nine friends who are now my lifetime friends. We all joined the same fraternity. I wouldn't have joined with them because I wouldn't have known them. And I met my wife at a party at my fraternity. Boom. So it's like if I hadn't pussied out in seventh grade that yeah. one day, I'm, I probably wouldn't have met my wife. Yeah. And that dude, I got goosebumps. That's just fucking crazy. I never, That's how history I never knew works. That. That's insane. Yeah, and you never. It's not even that. So did you? So what was your what was your example? Because you said yeah, I have two. I think uh, I was just gonna say like th- that. Just makes you think that any concept of a plan is just hilarious. Yeah, I mean you could never even 
think about planning that. That's just insane. Crazy. You know what I like was as I was preparing for this, I walked out to Pascal and I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. And she's like, shut up, get back in the room. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's super cool. <laughs> no, I promise it's cool. Uh, okay. So I have, I guess, two examples. Um, one of which you know, one of which maybe you don't know, or at least um, w- wouldn't think I was going to talk about. So uh, I was in Taekwondo with Mr. Troy Hollings, like you said. That's right. And uh, we, were, we were going hard with it. But then I found a, a, a an, an additional interest in my life, which was music. And I started playing in the uh, the marching band and the drum line. And I uh, started going through that. I just It was cool and I was interested in it. And I started to get pretty good at it because Troy and I spent our free time figuring out how to get good at things. Right. And it's like uh, Taekwondo is an operating system. Like, yes. Oh, okay. I was like, I didn't know how to do Taekwondo before I knew how right. to do it. I don't know how to do this. Let me just apply Taekwondo to this. So I just applied that the way I just applied the way to the drum line and like, you know, just going into it. Like I was, this doesn't mean anything to anybody who wasn't in drum line. So sorry about this, but I was like the first freshman to get on the snare drum line to play the snare drum in the marching band which which what that means is that like the top players play the snare drum and so i was uh because it's like the most exposed thing so i just learned how to be good at stuff through taekwondo and then i applied those lessons and then bam on the snare line and then that's not my story though My, my point is that i was going through that all through the years and then my senior year i uh was like the section leader of the drum line and then at that point um, a black swan event happened for me. The Super Bowl was that year, and it happened to come to Indianapolis and was going to be. Oh shit! At- I remember something like it was five a.m. We were working yep. out, and you're like, "Yeah, I might didn't sleep that much because something something Madonna." And I was like, "Shut yeah. up and lift!" And I yep. didn't even pay attention. That's fine. So That's a I bad mean, friend. Fair point, though. I mean, you still got to lift. Come on, but. Um, the Super Bowl came to town, and this is something that I would not have planned for or predicted or even seen coming, but Madonna was hosting it, and I guess in her spare time, she was like, I want a giant drum line. And uh, they just got slave labor from the local top high school drum lines to uh, be in her giant drum line. And of course, since I was like in it, in one of the top drum lines, and I was a section leader, like the, the top guy of the drum line, like I was obviously selected to go participate. And so I got to go and play in the halftime show of the Super Bowl uh, back in the day. And that isn't the, the point is not that like, oh, I'm so cool because it's not like we had like a giant role in it. But I was like on the stage with Madonna, like at the Super Bowl at the halftime show. And the Black Swan event for me was that I got to see how basically the top show that happens every year operates. Hmm. That was it for me. Not like, oh, I'm so cool, but like I got to peek behind the curtain of like you climb to the top of the mountain and you peek behind the curtain and you go, okay, well, the most viewed, most intensely watched show in the in the country in the country of the year. How does that happen? What works? Well, how does that work? And the the punchline is, it was alarmingly normal, and not as exciting as you thought it would be. Holy shit. And Dude, I, greatness is just the basics done well. Exactly. And I was sitting there in a rehearsal for this Super Bowl halftime show. And they're like, okay, um, you guys come stand over here. Uh, we're going to run the first part. Okay, that was pretty good. Uh, make sure you do this. All right, let's run the middle. Okay, now let's run the whole thing. Uh, that was pretty good. Let's take a break. Um, okay, I guess we're good. Like, do you guys need music? And I was like, dude, this is the exact conversation I've had 
my entire young life with any other type of rehearsal. Like it was no different. And what that showed me was even at the very top, like it's the same thing that you've already been doing. And I think that was a black swan event in my life because now I view things that are like, you know, supposedly really great or at the top of someone's field and like, and I just go, oh, well, they're just normal people doing normal stuff though. Right. It's they're, like, oh, they, they Mylan, they learn some stuff. Yeah. Cool. Like you see like, oh, who's your favorite podcaster or who's your favorite movie star or CEO. It's like, you know what? There's nothing special that they do. And that's what that taught me. It's like, they just get up, they just run stuff, they practice, they do the basics and then they go home. And so that changed my life because now I feel like I have a perspective that I'm like, oh, you can do anything. It doesn't matter. Like shoot for something really high because it's, it's the same thing with what you're doing now. Dang, that's crazy. And and I'd say we don't act like that. You know, both of, all those examples are, you know, some of the most important things that we define ourselves by is basically chance. But we don't act like that at all. I mean, we act like we're able to predict all these historical events or even worse, we're able to set up some plan, you know, oh, in 2024, oil prices are going to be this. So I'm going to make Negative my- $34. I, yeah, I'm going to make my, they're going to pay you to have oil. And uh, here, take it. We don't- That would never it. happen. We don't want it. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, yeah. I was getting a lock bar. Wait, what? Um, God damn it. Uh, and so, but he says, what is surprising is not the magnitude of our forecast errors, but the absence of- of awareness of it and we make huge decisions like going to war based on these forecasts so i look at that as like you know though the whole world that like yes you want to learn skills and you want to you know build your human capital so you can go out and you know oh hey uh, madonna asked me to play in the drum line and i i have hands and i didn't fuck up like that's good but but it's also you know so much shit is unpredictable but nobody acknowledges that and we go to war based on forecasts that, you know, actually what's going to happen is that prince is going to talk to that prince and they're going to get pissed and then they're going to barter over the daughter's marriage. And then, uh, oh shit, Saudi Arabia just nuked Iran. It's like we just forget after every black swan that that is what it was, that it was unpredictable. We're just like, well, I'm going to just pretend I didn't just see that and uh, go about my day like I used to. Totally. And, and what Mr. Taleb says is that... He says, this may seem like a strong statement, which when you when he prefaces it like that, holy Every shit. Every statement he has is a strong statement. That's true. Uh, he says, is that we need to principally study the rare and extreme events in order to figure out the common ones. Uh, so there's two possible ways to approach the world. The first is to rule out the extraordinary and focus on the normal, leave out the outliers. And that's the... Okay, in 2024, oil prices are probably going to be $46 a barrel because historically over the last 30 years, you know, especially in October and, you know, it's, and so like that. Maybe it crashes to 25. Yeah, like at the worst, like maybe it crashes to 25. Okay, so, um, and like, you know, our models are pretty precise and there's some uncertainty, but, you know, like that's probably, we're pretty sure about that. That's one way. He says don't do that. (laughs) And uh, the second approach is to consider that in order to understand a phenomenon, one first needs to consider the extremes, particularly if the black swan they carry causes an extraordinary effect. And so uh, he says he does not care about the usual, and he does not bring up this example, but I do. Uh, you know, John Wayne Gacy, you know that, that serial killer guy. Of course, not a nice man. Uh, we really don't care if for five thousand days he didn't eat anybody. 
but we really do care about the 14 days where he did engage in consuming long pig, aka human meat. That's why we know him. That's exactly right. So, like, if we just look at, you know, if we just look at all the days, oh, five, hey, look, for 5,000 days, he didn't eat anybody. He's a great guy. Incorrect. We really care about those outliers. Like, don't take about the, the average of his days. Yeah, what about them 14 days where he ate humans? Yeah. And this is what Mr. Taleb is going to learn us up on in the rest of this podcast. Let's go. The apprenticeship of an empirical skeptic, a.k.a. Mr. Taleb. What? Yeah, Mr. So Mr. Taleb, uh, very good guy. I, you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about how he actually started a 17 year long war. So I don't want to say anything bad about him, or he's gonna do some shit to me. But uh, he does do cer- certainly somewhat verbose titles. He goes hard with people on people uh, on Twitter. I don't know if you know this. Uh, he he'll yes. he's quite a fan of the Twitter war. I love everything, and all of your opinions are my opinions. Anyways, uh, moving on. So uh, war in Lebanon for more than a millennium again dude say a thousand years uh, the eastern Mediterranean seaboard Lebanon had been able to accommodate at least a dozen dozen different sects ethnicities beliefs it all worked like magic everybody traded with each other there was peace you know and if you think about that that's four times longer than the United States has been alive it's a long time so imagine you know your grandfather your grandfather's grandfather you know any surviving history that you have suggests peace. He says his ethos was shaped when at 15, he was put in jail for allegedly attacking a policeman with a slab of concrete. Holy shit, Mr. Taleb. An incident with strange ramifications since his grandfather was uh, at the time the minister of the interior and the person who signed the order to crush the revolt. So, you know, he's over there hitting police officers in the head and his grandfather's like oh god damn it that's my grandson oh no and then even worse one of the rioters was shot dead when a policeman who had been hit on the head with a stone hmm, that seems like quite a coincidence mr taleb uh panicked and randomly opened fire on them and he recalls being at the center of the riot oops oops is right the lebanese paradise suddenly evaporated in a few bullets and mortar shells and so he had to spend a couple months in jail, but 13 centuries of remarkable coexistence turned into a brutal, urban, 17 years long war. And his house, his school took place, you know, his house and his school were in the center of it. And go ahead. I heard a saying recently about the, uh, the stock markets that the, uh, the, the bull goes up the stairs, but the bear goes out the window. Meaning it takes a while for the bull markets to happen, but bear markets and crashes can happen. Oh, yeah. Like like whoosh. that. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, I actually deleted that, uh, but he said the black swans work that way, too. Like the positive black swans, they'll yeah. build, and build, and build. build and build. The negative black swans. Kapow. Uh, yep. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but so he, he goes on, and, and this is a very interesting perspective that he has. So he goes on to say that ever since that ever since you know growing up in that war so he's he's coming of age during fucking war when he'd go to school and and he'd hear about you know stable equilibrium he'd be like lol yeah he'd be like nah bitch all i did was hit some cop in the head with a rock and all of lebanon went to war the equilibrium doesn't exist he started the war he did start the war i mean it sounds like an admission to me and uh 
we fool ourselves over and over, specifically because of something he calls triple opacity. Again, let's name shit real cool sounding, but it basically means that when thinking about history and interpreting events, the human mind suffers from three ailments. So one is the illusion of understanding. Everybody thinks they know knows what's going on. Second, retrospective distortion. Uh, the rear view mirror. You look in the past and you, you connect the dots. You know, you don't see random ass Jordy learning discipline at Taekwondo, applying the discipline to drumline all of a sudden at the Super Bowl halftime show. You just see, oh yeah, it's pretty clear. You know, I went to a good high school and, you know, it's a clear progression. You, you, you just super random. You just smooth over that. And then the third is the overvaluation of factual info. So people, we wrap ourselves in all these facts and we feel like if we learn, if we learn 8,000 things about Bitcoin, like we can predict, maybe That's not, me. maybe not. Um, so for the first leg, nobody knows what's going on. And the, this is crazy. So he said he was constantly told by adults that the war, which ended up lasting 17 years, was going to end in only a matter of days. I mean, there, there were people that stayed in hotel rooms with shit. Uh, like packed for 17 years dude fuck well they 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 had a name for it they said it was just gonna be two weeks to slow the spread oh yes 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 that's true that's true (laughs) fuck yeah that's that's a great example yeah uh but so the second leg retrospective distortion history does not crawl it jumps but we don't see it and so um, he says, upon replay, replaying the wartime events in his memory, uh, as he formulate, formulated his ideas on the perception of random events, he developed the governing impression that our minds are wonderful explanation machines, capable of making sense out of anything and generally incapable of accepting the idea of unpredictability. He says a, a few difficult questions. How could one have predicted that people who seemed a model of tolerance could become barbarians overnight why was the chain so so abrupt he says we go from fracture to fracture with a few vibrations in between yet we and historians like to believe in the small predictable incremental progress i have an interruption here go ahead i haven't made this connection before but have you did you notice when you were uh, a young lad training taekwondo that when you were practicing and getting better at something uh it wasn't a smooth 45 degree angle progression line up and to the right. It was like you were a certain level of good. You're practicing, you're practicing, and all of a sudden something clicks for you. And it's like you jump up like a stair step to the next level and you plateau for a while and then you jump up. If you look at your progression, to me, it looks more like a stair step as opposed to like a smooth 45 degree angle line. I wonder if that's sort of similar, meaning like changes happen in jumps and leaps, not averaged daily yeah. improvement. Yeah, I remember that. I remember, you know, like I had, I have an unlimited attention span for repeatedly sucking because I learned that, you know, like I'll, I'll practice a kick and not be able to do it a hundred times. But then the hundred and first, I would like, oh, and then, you know, oh, I need to move my butt cheek that way. And then like, the 102nd kick was 60% better than the 99th yeah. kick. It's like before you had that epiphany and then after. It's like, it's like one kick, you go, oh, I get it now. Yeah. So, I yeah, I, I noticed that for sure. Um, 
And if we go into that, so that's a good example of the second leg. If we go into the third leg, so this this wrapping ourselves in facts, um, he, he talks about he had an interesting contrast. So his grandfather, after his grandfather forgave him for causing the war, uh, his grandfather was the minister of defense or the minister of interior or something. And he, Nassim Taleb, would talk to all his grandfather and his grandfather would have like all these opinions and he would know what what was going to happen but he didn't know what was going to happen because it lasted 17 years no one knew no but then he would talk to he being mr taleb would talk to his grandfather's driver mikhail and uh mikhail would have opinions too but unlike his grandfather he would repeat god knows as the main commentary on events the driver was more right but the driver was more right that's fucking crazy yeah it's almost like a trap like uh i never uh I don't know if this is where you want to go with this, but a slight t- tangent. I was uh, reading about this for some reason. The devil symbol, like the de- the idea of the devil or Satan actually was tied with uh, rationality for a long time throughout the uh, the eons. Interesting. And he was like uh, meaning. And I, f- I first heard that and I was like, that seems strange yeah <laughs> like thinking is the devil like that's how i thought about it for a while but I, it clicked for me learning about ideas like what mr Tlub is talking about meaning that um rational fact-based arguments are sometimes the easiest way to fool yourself and can lead you down a path of doom and despair because it's almost like the more facts you have the more confident you can be in a wrong opinion dude totally and like i noticed that at work where so I do sales for my job, but then there's a little bit of like trying to figure out how to grow sales for our whole company. And so I'm a believer of like, I don't need to be the one to create this, this smart idea. Like let's crowdsource this shit. Like you, the 10 of us are smarter than me for sure. But I find myself having to step back and, and make sure I'm not advocating for my position because it's not a position. It's yeah. just like my, like a guess. Here's but, some ideas. Yeah. Yeah. But you'll, you'll see people that, you know, they'll like, lock in on a position yep. and then they'll just triple down and advocate for it. And then all of a sudden you've got this tight, coherent, logical argument, yep. but that doesn't matter. What matters is what's the truth. Like what's the best way to do this? And maybe the best way is we don't know. And we need to test three ways. Right. And maybe your way is a good idea, but um, totally. Yeah. It's like almost like uh, what they say is, uh, is that the, intellect likes to fall in love with its own creations right and so that is the uh the dangerous path to go down and what stephen king says is sometimes you need to kill your babies so when you're yes. when you're you know preparing for a podcast metaphorical babies except of course of course when when i was preparing 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 for this i had you know there's first of all i had so much shit and i'm like okay we can't talk like we're gonna talk till two in the morning we can't do this but there's some good shit that i just deleted because it was like stephen king says kill your babies you know what cut it down 20 percent. that shit i'm just probably like attached to it yep so mr taleb he survives war and he goes to business school he comes to america he goes to wharton business school and a very good school and he comes into contact with this idea that shapes him a lot called the efficient market hypothesis you know what that is yes of course you can't you can't have any like additional information on anybody like you can't like it's our, everything's already priced in. Yeah, exactly. So like the, the thesis is that, you know, there's enough people watching the market that any bit of breaking news is our, is, you know, 
instantaneously or you know within a minute or five minutes it's priced in to the price of any stock so like you know like an example would be tesla okay well you know yeah tesla's gonna change the world it's gonna change the world it's like yes however if 800 million people believe tesla's gonna change the world it's like betting on is mike tyson gonna beat up this five-year-old kid and you know like i'm putting all my money on mike tyson like well good news you won you won your money back because everybody believed mike tyson was gonna beat the kid has a pe of 1200 right now it does yes yeah that's uh that's crazy (laughs) so what he realized because he's you know he's like synth he's this philosopher as we'll see and what he's synthesizing is that okay so the you know he just made it through war and he saw how you know everything he's ever known collapsed around him and then you know this public information's useless uh so what he what he's he basically he stopped collecting facts like a crab and he started building his mental models on how to think and specifically how to profit from risky or unpredictable events and 4.5 years later he was right the crash of 1987 on october 19th 1987 he uh walked home from work in a bewildered state that day just saw a 22 percent crash ouch in the market and the craziest thing is that at the time before that everybody believed that everything was predictable and there was nothing that could explain that and so you know it wasn't even in response to any discernible news so it was mass hysteria because he was a trader at the time and he you know one of his colleagues roommates killed himself um it was crazy because you know it's like this instant feedback you know it's like you've been doing doing tai chi and you then all of a sudden you're like i will pay five thousand dollars to any person who can kick my ass and then you get like an amateur boxer who beats the fuck out of you and just holy shit everything we believed is not true yeah it's like it's i think about it like they probably had models of okay here's here's the most likely things that could happen but here's like the least likely yeah the least likely is a four percent drop it's inconceivable Inconceivable. but it's like you're playing chess and you're like i could either do this move or they might counter with this move but then they just stand up and hit you with a fish and you're like okay well that wasn't in my uh my plan yeah they roofie you yeah exactly they, they take your scalp it's like a different whole topic altogether yeah um but Nassim Taleb, he did not predict this event, but he was banking on, you know, he had a bunch of bunch of low probability, low cost bets out there. And so in this situation, he received fuck you money. And that's the actual technical term that he used in the book. And uh, fuck you money is enough money that it allows him to do whatever he wants. You got 30 million. Yeah. And I didn't know that. But that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, act, you know, act like a Victorian gentleman. He said, which I read your book, dog. I'm not sure you're a Victorian gentleman. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know, whatever. Um, because prior to 1987, his specialty was betting on rare, unexpected events that were inconceivable. Uh, because for his day job, he was a trader, but he was also a quant. So he, he embraced quantitative finance. So, you know, those were those are the actual the models that everybody was using to make trades. He did that. But what he did, he said he was a quant in reverse. So he knew the models. He learned them inside out, but he tried to find the flaws. He tried to find where the models break down. 
and he believed that all these models were buckets with cracks in them. And all he had to do was find some of the cracks, and just suction cup his mouth to them, and just, just start sucking out gold. And in 1987, he was right. Yeah, like the Black Shoals pricing formula, whatever. It's It works for some, some situations or a lot of situations, but it's like, but it's always given a few assumptions. And he's like, yeah, but those premises aren't always true, basically. Yeah. So when I was a financial advisor, I'd already read this book like two times. Yeah. And so it caused 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 me physical pain to learn about that type of shit because I just didn't yeah. believe it at all. It's very alarming. And so I didn't, I don't even know what that means, but I believe you. There, I'm sure there's some coefficient that people like get really confident about oh, and yeah. make, make big decisions and oops it doesn't apply today and it it works 98 percent of the time yeah and so after he got fuck you money he's been living off the fucking grid building an entire system of thought based on his black swan idea and that is what we have the honor of diving into and because he realized that the war in lebanon the crash of 1987 they were identical it was the way it became obvious to him that nearly everyone had a mental blind spot in acknowledging the role of such events. It was, it was as if they were not able to see these mammoths or they rapidly forgot about them. And so I, this book has pervaded everything in my life because I've been just studying it for like a fucking month. And I, I watched the movie Mosul on Netflix. Have you seen it? No. It's fine. I don't know. It was a war movie, but it was Mosul, Iraq. But it, it was a... Um, a former SWAT team and there was like the good government they worked for the good government then the good government fell apart and then the bad government came but the SWAT team was still good they were good guys and so they went rogue and so it was like super cool and then they were like rescuing their you know their family members and whatever but the the point is if you were if you were tracking that guy you know the the lead the leader who was a detective in the SWAT team whatever and you you know, sat down five years before this movie took place and you predicted all the paths his career could go, you would never predict that, you know, the, the government's going to collapse and he's going to be running a, like a vigilante rogue unit. Right. And that's the way. That's everything. Everything works like that. Dude, can I just say one more thing here? Yeah, go ahead. We'd, let's discuss. I, uh, I actually came across Nassim Taleb's books uh, more recently than that. Uh, I've read all of them like a couple times. They're very interesting and you should read them a bunch of times. But do you know when I started reading his books? No. Like January, like early January. Of this year? Yes. I've read, I read the Black Swan early January. Holy shit. So it's top of mind. And I was like, oh, I should probably. I was more just like, bitch, how do you have a, two full-time jobs and you've read like eight books two times? No, like like I was <laughs> audiobooks. Uh, I was like I was like, oh, oh, I should probably think about unlikely giant impact events that should happen. And then that was in January. Dude, and then and this I, year happened. I've been thinking like that for five, seven years. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm slowly piecing and we'll talk about my compound. Right. But like I, when COVID happened, I was like, Holy shit. Look at this crazy Here we go. black swan. I mean, I remember going to Walmart and everything was sold out. It was yeah. like a movie that first day. The meat shelves were yeah, gone. Gone. Yeah. I bought two turkeys because I was like, I don't know. And I bought a bunch of beans. Yep. Dude, and there were people open carrying, which is not like that abnormal in Greencastle. 
Um, but I was just like, oh my Dude. god, like Big Herc, shout out Big Herc from YouTube. He was a former ex-con. Uh, then he did porn, which is weird. But uh, what a they, life! Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and now he's a motivational YouTube speaker. But he talked about how um, you know when you were on the yard, you just get the feeling, and you you'd like know before a riot was going to happen. Mm. And he's like, sometimes you know people be if everyone has their shower it's shoes the on. Yeah, if everyone has their shower shoes on. Yeah. No riot. Yeah. If everyone's wearing their boots. Hmm. What's gonna happen? And you probably don't notice it explicitly. You just have a feeling. Just that. Just that Marine Corps Hunter program, yeah. like that mm, combat profiling. Yep. Yep. But I was just, I was walking through that, through that Walmart, and I was just like, Here we go, bigger. This is uh, what it feels like before a riot. I think. Yeah. And so I stocked up, and and you know, it turns out didn't turn into mass fucking zombie panic, but I mean. No, you thought about it though. Yeah, it was crazy. It was weird that I like learned about the black swan, and then I was like, "That's crazy." Oh well, what's on the news? And then I was like, "Something's coming out of Wuhan, China." And I was yeah. Like, oh my. Yeah. Taleb was right. So if we uh, continue down this path of the black swan here, um, we're going to talk about uh, Nazim Taleb is great about telling like stories that are fucking forty pages and don't kill me, I'm sorry. And then um, you know drawing an analogy. So he, he paints this great picture about. Yevgenia Nikolaska Krasnova, some author. Yep. Uh, I can't pronounce the name. We're gonna call we're gonna call her Yevgenia. And uh, so Yevgenia yep. was a some author wrote a book about recursion. Everybody hated it. Uh, she couldn't get a publisher. Just like through a chance encounter, she found some ex- eccentric, down on his luck publisher who was like, "Whatever, I'll publish your shit." And she posted it all online as well. And then. Five years later, her book slowly caught fire, becoming a strange and great success, selling millions and millions of copies and drawing so-called critical acclaim. And Mr. Taleb told that whole story to say that Yevgenia's book is a black swan. And that's his damn point, that it's just unpredictable. And it can be negative like COVID, or it can be positive like Yevgenia. And to tie in an idea you said earlier, it was rejected in the story because the publishers knew the quote unquote, the type of story that would work. Like mm, this I is forgot this, about that. Yeah. yeah. They're like, Oh no, we understand in, in this kind of market, these are the types of stories with this sort of structure and this sort of plot line that work best uh, for having a bestseller. So it, once again, it was, Hey, I know a theory. I have a formula in my head of what is going to work. And that's how fragile our information is. Yeah. And uh, that's a great point. And Mr. Taleb says he will soon introduce the central distinction, which fucking blew my mind, between the black swan generating province of extremistan and the tame, quiet, and uneventful province of mediocristan. But Big bef- deal. But before that, we're going to talk about the scalable versus not scalable. That's related. Yeah. And so he says the, the most important piece of advice he got was, in retrospect, bad but it was paradoxically the most consequential in his life as it pushed him deeper into the dynamics of the black swan. It happened when he was 22. A second year Wharton student told him that he should get a scalable profession. So one that you are not paid by the hour and thus subject to the limitation of the amount of your labor. And so uh, Mr. Taleb says it was, it was a very simple way to discriminate among professions and from that to generalize a separation between types of uncertainty. And it led me, him, to the major philosophical problem, the problem of induction, which is the technical name for the black swan. It allowed him to turn the black swan from a logical impasse to an easy to implement solution 
and as we will see in the next chapters, to ground it in the texture of empirical reality. So what the fuck does that mean? Well, what all that means is that there are some professions like dentists, consultants, massage therapists. He keeps mentioning prostitutes, so I've got to I got to bring it up. He's not wrong. Prostitutes that can't be scaled. You know, there's a number of the on patients you can see. There's a number of clients that you can see if you're a prostitute, even on the craziest day. You know, if you have some Six Sigma assembly line process, 20 people if you're a prostitute. You would never go to 20,000, though. This is impossible. Impossible. Like you actually impossible. You know, if you're a dentist. Even if you get the most crazy technology, maybe you see 100 people, maybe you see 200 people, but you're never seeing 400,000. No. And so your revenue depends on this continuous effort more than on the quality of your decisions. So in other words, it will not be black swan driven. And and if you plot a normal bell curve will apply to that sort of job. Right. Yeah. Most of the time you're seeing between this many and this patients. Sometimes you see a few less. Sometimes you see a few more. Um, but you know, yeah. Like if you're an ER doctor on the craziest day, New Year's Eve, when everyone's out chopping wood and they're wasted and they, you know, you see seven people cut their legs off. Right. You're never seeing 600,000 people cut their legs off. You might see nine. Right. One year, but you might see three one year, but you're usually seeing like six, but then you'd never see 20,000. But like you truly never could see 20,000. Yeah. So, um, but other professions allow, allow you to add zeros to your output and your income if you do well at little or no extra effort so he says in in quant trading you know it costs you quote unquote cost no more to do a trade of a thousand for versus a million versus 10 million yeah same work jk rowling doesn't have to bake another roll every time someone wants to read her book nope it's just out there and so you know, the distinction between the writer and the baker, the speculator and the doctor, the fraudster and the prostitute, come on, Mr. Taleb, uh, is a helpful way to look at the world of activities because it separates those professions in which one can add zeros of income with no greater labor than from those which you need to add more labor. So I think that makes sense. But it, but he says, why was this advice from my fellow student bad? Well, um, basically, Mr. Taleb says that It's bad because if the advice was helpful, and it was, creating a classification for ranking uncertainty and knowledge, it was a mistake as far as choices of profession went. It might have paid off for him, that $30 Yes, it did. But only because he was lucky and happened to be at the right place at the right time. As the saying goes, if I had to give himself advice, if he had to give himself advice, he would recommend somebody pick a profession that is not scalable. A scalable profession is good only if you are successful and they produce monstrous inequalities. Now, I don't know, man. I feel like that's like when you see this, you know, a pro MMA fighter, super rich, super hot wife, maybe he has five wives, maybe a wife, four girlfriends. He's got multiple houses. He's like, you know, if I could tell my son, I would tell him to be an accountant. Like, shut up. So (laughs) I don't know what, uh, what do you think about this whole scalable versus not scalable distinction? I think he's right. I think that if you're if you're starting from zero, you have to go for a non-scalable because it's possible and likely that you could actually pull it off. And I think that, he's saying the opposite though. He's saying that he only got lucky that he was in 
Oh wait, you're. I'm saying that okay, okay. You, you should go for a non-scalable. Right. So like a first. baker. Yeah, go for a baker. First, or interesting. A, ta- a taxi driver. Yeah, because the way I see it, and maybe this is my own thoughts, but like, it doesn't matter, like what your future plans are. Like you have to eat today, which means you have to have a very high likelihood that you can earn something today that can feed you today and that belongs in the the domain of the non-scalable like Mm. i can drive someone to work today or i can drive someone like an uber or something like that like it's it's extremely likely that i could pull that off and so just your own even your physical and biological necessities means that you have to do something that's likely to work even though it's not gonna make you filthy rich now i say first because uh that's a crazy distinction i didn't think about that at all but Like it's not either or no, it's just like you have to prioritize one. And if you're starting from zero, you got to, you, you, you basically have to do this, the non-scalable first. And now, then I would say, and then write books after you're done driving people around all day for Uber. Right. Like that's what Stephen King did. Exactly. You know, he washed dishes. He was a substitute teacher. He was an actual teacher. I don't remember, but, um, you know, he did not like go live in a crack den and, send out shitloads of manuscripts you know on paper that has blood stains on it this is why i started doing uh work with like uh, in videography and doing video work is because i was doing a lot of music and i was like wait a minute this is stupid to only do this like i i need to make money that's reasonably likely to happen right and so i had to find okay i need to do something that's more in demand in the market and guaranteed to work um and then do a uh you know high risk high reward thing on the side dude that's blowing my mind yeah do that i didn't think about that yep um so like let's use an example that he gives so let's let's think about music that's good you brought that up so imagine in it's 1400s nice okay there's i don't know you're in england whatever there's 2000 villages all of them probably have music Mm -hmm. and all of them probably have a bard or like a guy who does the music yep and not a girl because definitely not a girl extremely sexist back yes. then even the guys played the girl parts yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i would rather kiss a man than allow a woman to have any sort of That's rights what like they jesus That's christ fine. bro chill okay, out. you're wrong he has no chill no chill but being a bard in that situation that was pretty non-scalable for using that distinction before extremely you could show up you could get work you could sing in you one could, place at one time you could sing at a bar you know whatever tavern i don't know i mean you'd probably get mugged a lot and oh, yeah. you know people take your shit yep um but you got the plague too yeah you got the plague you definitely got that but you know there are probably eight thousand bards i don't fucking know some amount of bards that yep. uh you know were real successful but now let's bring in the radio that were moderately successful exactly moderately successful let's bring in the radio and then the tv oh god and then the internet Oh God! Now, there are three bard lords. Yeah, Cardi B. Yeah, Gangnam, Gangnam Style. Yep. But if you want to be just a, you know, just a regular bard playing at some some tavern, that's way harder. And that's oh, yeah. and that's the difference uh, with this scalable versus not scalable. Those three bard lords. They're reenacting that scene in 300 with the hunchback licking those girls' mouths, but the other 8,000, they're way worse off. And the three, and, the, and another crazy thing, the megabards, those megabards, they're not even always the best. Like yeah. I don't, just most in demand. Yeah, like, and it's at the and, time. 
Nassim Taleb builds a decent case that that the, that they spread that the popularity spreads like a contagion, so yeah. like a virus. Yep. And so you know, Cardi B. I've listened to some Cardi B, and I, don't get me wrong, it's catchy. I can get along with it, but I don't think anybody would say Cardi B is musically the most talented. I mean, it's a whap 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 whap. Got the wet ass pussy. <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's not about necessarily talent and some, you know, academic, formal meaning. It's just about did who made something that the most people resonate with at any given particular time. But I think his point is that the, that, that the most people resonate at any particular time is also chance and luck. Oh, yeah. And you could do a thousand lives. Oh, yeah. And Cardi B would, would not be as successful oh, as she is 100%. because you know maybe she got on the music video with Lil Wayne got on this and then enough right. people like were seeded with the popularity of her right. that now they're like oh but if you know if in a different reality if Lil Wayne ever existed then she would just be a stripper still I don't know if this is true I don't know her story but it could I don't either it could even, she was a stripper though yes she was um, I, I don't know if this is true or not but for her situation it could even be like if she had not met one producer by accident it would right. have completely not she would have not had a career totally it could be like that something like that and that whole conversation brings us into one of the most transformational ideas he's going to talk about mediocristan and this is where he you know gets this is a little literary device but it's good enough we're going to go with it that mediocristan versus extremistan this is really important this is super important so mediocristan is the non-scalable that is uh think about a stadium filled with people okay and you have to take an average of the people's weight now let's say that you, know, you get every country in the entire world's professional sumo wrestling team and you put them in that stadium that's going to increase the average only a little bit though some like one percent right now let's flip it around let's say you got a stadium filled with people fat skinny small short tall whatever but we're graphing net worth now instead of the team of sumo wrestlers let's say you bring in bill gates who's worth 120 billion it's a lot of cash and you add it and you look at everybody else versus bill gates it's a drop in the bucket of bill gates net worth for someone's weight to represent such a share they would need to weigh 50 million pounds yeah it's not gonna happen that's crazy and so that's the difference in mediocristan things work like we intuitively think they're gonna work you know calories how many calories you can eat you know even if like i challenge you you eat twenty-five thousand calories in a day you're gonna throw up but if you if you graph your whole calorie consumption over the year that's a blip yeah but now look at book sales yeah you know jk rowling compared to eight thousand other authors it's uh that's that's the difference so go ahead and this is really important why why is why does this even matter well to me it matters is because there's different rules for operating in mediocristan and for operating in extremistan and they're almost opposite rules and so to me it's like before i knew this concept it would be like me looking at an open field and in that open field you can either play football or you could have trench warfare. Like it's, they're just two completely different things. They're not even close. 
And if you don't know the rules walking into the field, you're in trouble. And you need to know which game you're playing. And so when I look at right, and you're you know yeah. you're in trench warfare with the other people, and they're like, no, what we need to do is throw a touchdown pass. You're like, how about we use a fucking machine gun? Yeah, like you're no, like, and you're like timeout, and then you get your head blown yeah, off. Yeah, like, there's like, no timeout. There's no timeout in trench. War- what are you talking about? Yeah, I I found that super helpful too because in extremistan, inequalities are such that one single observation can disproportionately impact the aggregate. So you know, weight, height. Calorie consumption, that's from mediocristan. Wealth is not. Almost all social matters are not. So think about this though. Before the advent of modern technology, war was from mediocristan. Yeah, that's true. Because you're hacking people one by one with swords. That's true. Now you press a button and, you know, mass death. Right. Okay. So that's cool and whatever. But like, why do we really care? Well, we care kind of like what Jordy was saying the distinction between mediocrity and extremistan has severe ramifications for both social fairness and the dynamics of events blah 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 but most importantly to the application of knowledge where most of its value lies so if a martian came to earth and engaged in the business of measuring the heights of us happy earthlings he could safely stop you know at a hundred or a thousand humans and get a really good picture of the average height. You know, and even if he measured the tallest people in the world and then, you know, then they found the pygmies, that would still be like one or two standard deviations away from the mean. Right. And so the consequence of mediocristan is that black swan, crazy, fucking unpredictable COVID randomness, it doesn't really exist. Primo, that's what he says. The first hundred days should reveal all you need to know about the data. Secundo, even if you do have a surprise, as we saw in the case of the heaviest human, it doesn't really matter. Just like you find the pygmies, well, okay, that's a fart in your data. Extremistan and Mr. Taleb's thesis is, aka real life, is not like that. If you're dealing with quantities from extremistan, you will have trouble figuring out the average from any sample since it can depend so much on one single observation. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. And then he just throws like a Musashi style sentence. The idea is not more difficult than that. Okay, okay. Well, let's let's add a little bit more, but I'm, I'm with you, Mr. Taleb. Can I add a, a yes? one quick tangent? Go ahead. A quick tangent that might be controversial. I don't know if this is going to be controversial or not, but I remember... Um, I was talking about, I mentioned earlier that I kind of kept a journal writing down what's been going on this year because I knew it was going to be so crazy. I remember I had been exposed to Mr. Taleb's ideas as this was all happening. And when this, uh, when COVID hit and people were making initial projections for what was going to happen, you kind of had people, uh, I'm not trying to take the political side here, but there you had people who were like, this is going to be the worst thing ever, like hide and, pl- and hide and run for cover. And other people were like, this is dumb. This is going to be nothing. And I remember thinking, I don't know what's true, but there were some people who were saying like more people died, you know, slipping and falling in their bathtub this year than people have died of COVID and stuff like that. And I remember because I had been exposed to Nassim Taleb's ideas, I was thinking, oh, that is what someone would say if they hadn't been exposed to mediocristan and extremistan because in any given year holy shit yeah yeah because i was like oh in any because they're right at that point in time i can't remember the exact date but it was early 
yeah that's exactly right like two weeks in yeah. like well you know more people have died in the bathtub and than because of covid and you're like at the well time. good news we're w- day one out of eight thousand and there's yes. exponential growth so your bathtub analogy is actually just fucking misleading it's like in a different world because th- in any different in, in any given year like the number of people who slip and die in a bathtub might go up by 10 percent i mean that'd be yeah. kind of nuts even to go if up. like you haven't had hard liquor in your country and then it gets like legalized yeah 15 oh. percent increase oh, in death exactly maybe but it's like but for a pandemic or for a disease it's like you know it could go up forty thousand percent yes death rate and so that i remember because i had been exposed to this i go oh he only sees one world when you should be looking at two worlds yeah and that uh nasim taleb calls mediocrity and types of randomness is type one randomness yes and i don't think it really matters if you know that but just know the things that fall in that category so this type of randomness is the randomness that averages out so height weight people that fall in the bathtub calorie consumption income for a baker small restaurant owner a prostitute again mr (laughs) what are you telling me i don't know uh he's just such high testosterone so much deadlifting (laughs) But matters that belong to extremist extremistan, which is subjected to type two randomness, aka shit can get real fucked up and doesn't average out at all. Wealth, income, book sales per author, COVID cases, book citations per author. Any pandemic. Yeah, exactly. A name recognition as a celebrity, deaths in war, deaths from terrorist incidents, sizes of planets. The extremistan list is much longer than the mediocristan. Uh, and he says another way to rephrase the general distinction is as follows. Mediocristan is where we must endure the tyranny of the collective, the routine, the obvious, the predicted. You're a dentist. You got to get up every day and diddle around in people's stinky mouths and listen to them lie to you and tell, them, tell you like, oh, I floss. I floss three times a day. That used to be me. I, I thought that flossing was just marketing from Crest. And I was like, fuck you, Crest. I'm not going to buy your little string. I was wrong. I had I got gum disease, and now I floss every day. And dude, I don't have gum disease anymore. Damn. Yeah, <laughs> that's a crazy story. Yeah, it's amazing. Extremistan is where we are subjected to the tyranny of the singular, the accidental, the unseen, the unpredicted. You know, you labor underground for anywhere from one to thirty-four years looking for gold, only to maybe die, maybe find gold, maybe get rich as hell totally unpredictable if you if you start looking for gold half a mile to the left you'd be richer than god since you're half a mile to the right you die broke and destitute and if if the world is mediocristan this shit shouldn't even really matter but since the world is not we got a fucking problem and that problem is the black swan problem aka the problem of induction And if you want to dive deep onto this damn black swan problem, tune in for the next episode of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Thank you very much. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.